0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known.
1: The Old Testament lesson for today is from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This can be found on page 364 of your pew Bible. The miracles performed by Elisha prefigure the ministry of Jesus, who met the needs of people he encountered during his time on earth and continue to meet our needs today. A reading from 2 Kings, chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditors has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside." So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go and sell oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
0: There was a man living on the streets, and he was unemployed and really didn't have two pennies to put together. So every day he stood on a place in the city where a lot of people walked by, and he had his hands out like this, hoping that somebody would put in a couple of coins or maybe a meal to get him through the day. The man was blind. From birth. And in his culture, there were no jobs for blind people. So he had begging all day. And as the people walked by one day, a person was in the crowd, a person that this blind man had heard about before. This person in the crowd that day was a man named Jesus. And this blind beggar had heard about him and what he could do for people. So he cried out, Jesus! And Jesus approached the man, and before Jesus put anything in the man's hands, he asked him a very interesting question. Jesus turned to the blind beggar, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that an amazing thing? And the blind beggar responded by saying, Rabbi, I want to see And Jesus performed a miracle in this man's life and healed his vision. Jesus did for this man what only God could do. Jesus was different than all the other passersby that this guy was hoping to get just enough provision for one day. Jesus provided for the man something only God can provide and it changed his whole life. We're going to look at this story of Elisha and one of the miracles he performed in 2 Kings. But before we do, I want to invite us all into a little bit of an exercise this morning. I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus himself approached you. And what if he asked you the same question he asked the blind beggar? What do you want me to do for you? I want you to consider, as I preach this sermon, I'm going to be talking, but I'd rather have you in dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Consider that with God today. What is something in your life that only God could provide for? Just think about that as we look at this story of Elisha and the widow with the empty and then full jars. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. You may recall in last week's scripture, we saw the story of the mantle being passed from Elijah the prophet to Elisha. And Elisha had witnessed this amazing miracle of Elijah being swept up into heaven. Well, now the leadership is on Elisha's shoulders. There was this reference in last Sunday's scripture of this group of people, the sons of the prophets. These are basically the disciples of the prophets. Well, Elisha's in charge now, so he's got to manage these people. He's got to run the institution now that Elijah's gone. And what do you know? A problem presents itself. A woman comes up to Elisha with some um, issue that has arisen. The wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. Is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. It's hard to overstate just how terrible and dire of a situation this was. Widows in the ancient world had very few rights. It seems that her husband was a man who loved God, but it also seems that he owed some money to a lender. It seems that this lender is not a merciful person. Because the man is dead and he's coming after the household of the man who had died. And he's basically saying, guess what? If you can't pay me, I get your sons as slaves. Can you imagine how this woman feels in this moment? She's grieving the loss of her husband. She can't pay his debt. And now she's about to lose her sons into slavery. How does Elisha respond? Verse 2. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? See that question? It's very similar to what Jesus asked the blind beggar. What do you want me to do for you? Elisha says, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I want to pause on her story for just a moment because Elisha performs seven miracles in this narrative. The children and the children are learning about all seven. But I just want to highlight the next one, the one that comes right after this one. I find they're a very interesting pairing. There's another woman that Elisha is about to meet. And this woman is different than the woman in this story. The next woman Elisha is about to meet, she's described as a wealthy woman. She has so much wealth and so much food that every time Elisha passes by, she invites him in for a meal. And he asks her the same question. He says, what shall I do for you, this wealthy woman? And he kind of overplays his hand a little bit. He said, do you want to have a conversation with one of the generals or the king? And she says, I already run with those people. (laughs) But then she says, you know, I, I don't have a son, and my husband is very old. Isn't that interesting? The first woman we meet, she has no money and two sons. And then we meet a woman with lots of money and no sons. Elisha says, what shall I do for you? And each one has a need. There are empty jars and an empty womb. Elisha says to the second woman, by this time next year, you will have a son on your lap. And she basically says, don't you mock me. But miraculously, a year later, she's holding a son. God provides, God did for this woman what only God could do. Okay, so what happens to the widow then? Let's pick up the story in verse three to find out. Then he said to the widow, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. I love this part of the story. He sends her on this mission to go talk to all her neighbors. Hey, do you have any empty jars? And she ends up having to talk with all the people in her life. You know, sometimes when God performs a miracle, he does it in community. I see this sometimes as a pastor. We talked about this yesterday morning. Gina led a wonderful prayer connection gathering in Emmaus Hall. You saw the picture of it. And we were sharing stories of sometimes when God answers prayers. And what's so cool is that when God answers prayers, there's this group of people who are praying and they're involved spiritually. They're involved in a prayer connection way with the person who got the miracle provided. I sense that that's what God is doing in the story of this widow. Go talk to all your neighbors. Get some empty jars. Involve the community. So she and her sons are collecting these empty jars and bringing them into the house. Verse 4. Then go, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. When one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she, as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Why did Elisha say, make sure you shut the doors? I think it's because he wants this to be obvious that this is something God is doing. There's no secret passageway in the back of the house through which people are bringing a secret supply of oil. God is doing something for this woman that only God can do. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is a lot of oil. It's enough to pay the lender. And I love this phrase, you and your sons. In other words, your sons aren't going anywhere. You and your sons will be able to live together and you'll have enough. There's so much oil in this miracle that you'll be able to live on the rest. God has provided so abundantly for this family. It's almost hilarious, picturing them gathering up these empty jars and pouring into them, and it just keeps filling and filling and filling. They must have been giggling with delight with all this oil. Can you picture it? Sometimes when God provides, he overblesses. I've been experiencing such a story of overfilling of jars over the last couple of years of my life as I've been a part of this project we keep talking about here at Stanford Church, the Stanford Initiative. We come to him with these empty vessels, and he keeps filling them up. We first started looking for a property in the south end of Stanford, like a 5,000-square-foot building that we thought might be big enough for what we're trying to do. And then God said, actually, here's a 30,000-square-foot building right in the middle of downtown. It's the best location you can possibly imagine. He filled up the jar for us. And then he provided through the generosity of you all enough money to buy this building. We bought the building without any debt. Can you believe how abundant God is in that? And then we had this vision to start a coffee shop. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I don't know how to run a coffee shop. There's my empty vessel. I don't know what to do here. And then the, uh, the, get this, the, the head of customer experience, at a little company called Starbucks. Have you, have you heard of Starbucks? You've heard of that? That's a pretty, pretty significant coffee company. The head of customer experience learned about our vision, got really excited about it, and he's been meeting with me to consult with how to operate a coffee shop in such a setting. He's a brother in Christ. How, I mean, of all the people on planet Earth that you would want to hear from, God's like, here's the best one. And that jar just overflows. With coffee, as it were. And then, you know, that guy lives in Seattle, obviously. We need somebody to run this thing on the ground. And we were thinking about which coffee shop owner could we partner with who we could convince of our vision to do second-chance employment, you know, employing people who have been uh, graduates of these ad- addiction recovery programs. And we met this man named Breno who already has several other coffee shops in the area, and he's already doing second-chance employment. With people who've been in prison before. God provided. The jar fills up. He's over blessing the entire project. There are names for God in the Old Testament, one of which is Jehovah Jireh. You heard this? Jehovah Jireh. God, our provider. And what I'm learning through this process of being involved in the Stanford Project and in other areas of my life is that when God provides, he doesn't just dole out a little bit like into the hand of the beggar, a shekel to get us through the day. He overblesses. He can afford it. And he fills our jars. He fills our empty vessels. He also provides that daily bread. But even if you think about that, Give us, Lord, our daily bread, or the manna in the wilderness. Even that is an extremely abundant provision, because provision, it comes every day. God wants to fill our empty vessels. Now I asked you at the beginning to consider, what would you say? If Jesus showed up for you today, what do you want me to do for you? What's your empty vessel? What's the need that only God could provide for? I hope you've been thinking about that a little bit. I hope you've been dialoguing with God. I want to tell you about Jesus. This whole story of Elisha really just points to the gospel, it points to the story of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. His very first public statement, he was in Nazareth. It was the day of the Sabbath, the scroll was read, it was Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus read it and he said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in me. This is what the prophecy was. This was Jesus, basically his first sermon. The first chance he got to open his mouth and and give a message to the world. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's the thing. If we read this, oh, Jesus is good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, those who are oppressed. If we read this and we think about those poor people, those blind people, those oppressed people, those people in captivity, I'm glad Jesus is good news for them, then we've missed out on what he's offering to each one of us. Jesus is good news to the poor no matter how your poverty is measured. These two women back to back, one had no money but two sons, one had all kinds of money but zero sons. Elisha said, what do you need? And God provided for their particular measurement of poverty. When Jesus was walking around, he met this guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the wealthiest person in his town probably. And yet he had a severe relational poverty. Nobody liked him. And Jesus went to him and he said, I'm going to go to your house and have a meal with you. You see, Jesus was good news to his poverty, relational poverty. He didn't need money from Jesus. He needed friendship. And each one of us has an empty vessel, and no matter how you measure it, whatever that thought was maybe a moment ago when you said, when when you imagine Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? That's your empty vessel. That's your need that only God can provide for. Jesus said in Luke 4, he's good news to the poor. Jesus said he has been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. He wasn't just talking about people who are literally in captivity. Maybe he was talking also about people who are captive to addiction that they can't seem to stop doing. Or the captivity of Fear. Fear of the future, maybe. I'll be honest with you, when I went through that exercise myself, imagining Jesus coming up to me saying, what, what do you want me to do for you? That's what came to my heart. Lord, release me from the captivity of fear. I don't need to fear. He said, his recovery of sight to the blind. Now, he was recovery of sight to the blind man who was begging that we looked at just a moment ago, but there's all kinds of different ways of measuring blindness. I was at a dinner party a couple weeks ago, and I love going to your dinner parties because I love interacting with people who don't go to church. (laughs) And at some point in the dinner party, they find out I'm a pastor. And this guy was drilling me with tons of questions. I loved it. And uh, he said, I want that, I want to believe, I I want to believe in God, but how do you you get that light switch turned on? That was his exact phrasing. How do you get that? So I I prayed with him right there in that moment that God would lift the veil, that the thing he can't see would be revealed to him. That's recovery of sight to the (laughs) blind. Maybe that's you. Maybe you believe in God, but there's just part of his promises. You just can't see it. He's recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus said he would set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those who are oppressed. Is there anyone here who feels the oppression of depression, sadness, Your own thoughts, maybe. What's oppressing you? Jesus said, I came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor was something prescribed in the Old Testament law that every 50 years in the nation, all debts would be canceled. And here's the good news. All of us have a debt that we cannot repay. We're like that widow that Elisha met. We have a debt that we cannot repay. And that debt is caused by our sin. We have sinned against God in thought word and deed. And Jesus came and paid it all. So what kind of poverty do you have? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now this is not a health and wealth message. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a description of the immeasurable riches of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness that Jesus, who enjoyed all the privilege of being the King of kings and Lord of lords, sitting on the throne of the universe, the riches of that authority and his position in the universe, he set all of that aside to come to earth as a humble teacher and then to die in our place. That's what it means that he became poor so that we might become rich, so that he might share with us the inheritance of his grace. Sometimes people ask, why do you Why do you talk so much about the cross, Nathan? You preach every week about the cross. Well, here's the thing whether you're poor or blind or oppressed or have a debt, all of these things are answered by God in the cross of Christ. There's this exchange that takes place on the cross. Are you captive to an addiction or to fear? Look what Jesus did for us. John 18, verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Jesus, whose hands put the stars in their place in the universe, was bound. So that we might be set free from our sins and from our fears. Is there anyone here who is experiencing any kind of blindness? You believe in God, maybe, but you can't see his promises being fulfilled. Look what happened to Jesus on the day he was arrested. Luke 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him. You noticed that before? The day Jesus was arrested, they blindfolded him. Jesus, who can see in the, any situation, any heart, any circumstance, supernaturally, was blindfolded in an exchange with our blindness so that we might behold. Anyone here who's oppressed by depression or your own thoughts or sadness or just the weight of sin, are you oppressed by that? Look what happened to our Lord. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Jesus took all the oppression of all the sin of the whole world and he was oppressed by it. No one has been more oppressed than him. And he paid the debt. He paid the debt that we cannot pay. Colossians 2 verse 13. God has forgiven all our trespasses trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. As those... Empty vessels were filling with oil. That widow's debt could be repaid. All that oil pouring out miraculously from God. And as Jesus hung on the cross and blood and water flowed from his body, our vessels were being filled and our debt can be paid because of the price that it cost him. Hallelujah. Jesus, who died in our place on the cross, has paid our debt. He's opened our eyes, he's set us free. This is what he's done for us. And as we draw near to him, it's like we're that beggar on the side of the road and we sense that he's coming by. We sense that he's in our presence. I sense that he's right here in the room with us right now. And so what do you want to ask him? He's standing there saying, what do you need? I can afford it. Let me fill your empty vessel. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd reveal to each one of us what that empty vessel is. Show us, Lord, the thing in our lives that only you could provide for. Maybe it's not the obvious thing we we thought it was when we first considered the question. Show us that deeper thing, that life-changing thing. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, come and fill your people. Amen.
1: To learn more about the mission and vision of Sandwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit sandwichchurch.org.